This is Michelle Lassley of Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. So I teach women how to use essential oils and I sell essential oils. I do this because I have found that a truly high quality essential oil is the best way for a home to be toxin free. And there's a really amazing benefit about using essential oils with regard to how they also support the body and emotions. So when we think about going green, and that's where it all started with me so many years ago, and I used all homemade cleaners and I really got tired of the vinegar smell. So when essential oils were introduced to me, it was a really easy way for me to support my cleaning by adding some of the more power-packed aspects of essential oils. Like lemon oil, for example, can be a really great degreaser. So I started adding lemon oil into my homemade cleaner, which included vinegar and water and an all-natural soap. And when we do that, we're actually then getting the uplifting aroma of the essential oil along with all of the physical properties that it comes with and that uplifting aroma can actually make, for example, cleaning a pleasant task because it smells nice. I wanted to share that that's a huge piece of what I do because it's going to come up as we discuss the topics that we discuss in this realm of Balance Shared. And if you have been following me along for a little while, you know that I teach on essential oils and you can find a lot of videos on my Facebook page and my YouTube channel that do just that. The more I've gotten into teaching about essential oils, I've started to see some repeating patterns with people, with women especially. The women that I've been encountering are all fantastic and have really great big hearts and they all want to support their families the best way that they know how. And then I also see a lot of conflicts like time conflicts or desire conflicts. So what I mean by desire is I mean, you know, like what the woman wants to do for her own life and how it conflicts maybe with her husband's needs and desires or her children's needs and desires. And then time is just really straightforward, right? Like, for example, I had a late night last night and didn't get home until late. And then I still prepared the meals for the next day. And with a little bit of ebbing and flowing and trying to finish up some other projects, that meant I didn't go to bed until 1.55 in the morning. So I teach on essential oils and I also teach women how to find their breakthroughs. It could be from running the day-to-day household management things, but it could also be digging into that desire that you have. Like, what is it that you really want to do? If you run a business and you're trying to figure out the next strategy, the breakthrough could be there as well. I also teach how to use computers. This is a gift that I've had since forever. We'll say 11 years old, somewhere around fifth grade, when I was introduced to the first computer, uh, the Apple IIe in my fifth grade classroom, and absolutely we played with Logos and the Oregon Trail game. And ever since then, I have been able to pick up how the software works. I can see the patterns, I can see the similarities, I can see the differences, and I can navigate between the two with relative ease. As I worked in various roles 
as secretaries and managers and accounts payable and all these other crazy roles that I had, I started to realize that in these uh, paid environments, you know, I mean, you know, your typical hourly job environment, I was the tech support. When when the staffing at an organization all fell through, I was the one who ended up figuring out how to build the database for our brand new computer system that was going to make our lives easier. And that skill has developed and grown ever since. So those are the kind of three things and the three ways that my magic presents itself and what we'll be talking about on this podcast. Essential oils, breakthroughs, and technology. Thank you so much for tuning in and walking through this journey of what a Balanced Shared podcast will look like. I can't wait to see you next time when we tune in. And remember, we are all better together. I treat astrology as a language, um, you know, so that's just one example. And part of me is all about teaching. And, and Gemini is also related because it's ruled by Mercury related mm-hmm. to commerce. So I'm very interested in this idea of sacred commerce. How can we heal capitalism from its virus that has attacked the system and taken over like a mutant? How can we now small business owners, solopreneurs, however big or small we are, how can we help heal the process? Because I don't think the problem is necessarily in commerce. Mm -hmm. It's how it's been done. You know, Mm -hmm. something got twisted in the Mm -hmm. process throughout the ages. So I do also think that as small business owners, we have a responsibility to heal uh, how business has been done. It's been co-opted by some crazy virus. In my mind. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, I want to talk more about that in a moment, but first we need to take a break. Okay. Welcome back. We were just touching on healing our world you by being aligned really with, with our with our with our charts and you just mentioned the term sacred commerce and that co- that term has come up in a previous interview with uh, Laura Rowe <laughs> and <laughs> and I was just curious so one of my favorite books that I read in the last couple years is called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist mm. are you familiar with okay. I'm familiar with the book yeah I haven't read it but yeah I'm familiar okay well she so she and other other coaches and things that I followed along like to tell this is my summation of kind of all of these i like to think after reading all these things think of money as currency okay and so and then thinking of like well what is a a current current could be like a river flowing or it could be literally like an electrical current right Mm so it's literally energy and so on one hand when you're talking about money you're talking about an exchange of energy and another coach that i followed like to point out that when you look at at least U.S. money in our monetary system, uh, that paper is is just paper. The the you know there's the only value is, it says a dollar on it, but like there the the 
we don't have the gold standard anymore, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, like, the, the, a lot of it is kind of made up, and it's a human construct, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, when we we put these sort of um, connotations, like you know, money is the root of evil or whatever, it's like really. I think we need to take a step back and it's the energy we're putting into the thing that makes it that thing. And okay. So just intellectually kind of holding space for that. If we were going to bring and embrace this idea of sacred commerce, so we're, we're, we're exchanging our energy in alignment with our beliefs in alignment with our core selves and then providing services or goods or whatnot, what could commerce look like? That I think that's really interesting. I mean, that's something funny you mentioned, Laura, because I, I was the one who got her into the thinking about sacred commerce because she and I done a series of workshops together around that. So we have these in-depth conversations about it. Um, I think that I, I cannot pronounce his name, but the guy who wrote the book Sacred Commerce, it's a, it's a small book. Um, he talks about the... Um, what were they called? Merchants. The, I think he calls them mystic merchants, but don't quote me on it. It's something like that. He sees that the merchants were traditionally not just carrying goods and exchanging, but there was something sacred. They were bringing also knowledge. Commerce is a way to bring knowledge as well. You know, if you think about the Silk Road, the way they mm-hmm. would travel so far, how much culture has been exchanged because of commerce. So there's an importance there. It's just not empty exchange. So I think that it requires... So I had, was responsible for making tables. Like It was like uh, an application. Like somebody had to fill out an application for something. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, so you fill it out, and you look at it, and you think it's perfect, and it's not, and you go back. And so yeah. I definitely found myself in, like, constant revision phase, right? And hmm. so instead of, like, saying, okay, here's... When a bus driver kept his area clean, the rest of the bus was cleaner. And so, so huh. I that because sometimes when our cities start to look a certain way we think that things aren't necessarily as they seem. You, do you follow what I'm saying? I do and I also think that we're a much more interconnected community than we used to be through like apps like Nextdoor. So yeah. if somebody witnesses something that they might view as sketchy they're putting it on Nextdoor and blasting it out to their community I mean, for example, my husband and I were canvassing in a really nice neighborhood in Beaverton on Sunday, and someone called the police on us and put it on next door that they didn't know what we were out there doing. And we were like, and I'm wearing like Nike running pants. I mean, I could fit, I could have just been out on a walk in the neighborhood. And I think God, you know, I've had this happen to friends that are black in canvassing uh, and it didn't end well, but because I was white, it ended well. Um, but th- that, and I was like, Hey man, take this off of next door. She's like, well, this is sketchy. And I said, I'm an elected official canvassing for democracy in your neighborhood. And she still called the police cause she didn't believe me. And so I think sometimes because of apps like that, yeah. people are just aware of minor crimes happening and then painting a broad stroke brush of <laughs> everything happening. Mm. So being really great critical thinkers and building community are part of campaigning, but also kind of separate of that as well. Um, How do you think we should address those things? I think awareness and sometimes looking at the source, right? A lot of our community is educated and, 
you know, you are taught to be a critical thinker and look at information as true or not true. We are living in an unprecedented time in which we are doubting media, doubting uh, coverage of certain events. And so I always tell people, take a step back and like think, how's your neighborhood really changed? Right. Are you concerned because there's a homeless man sleeping in a car and you just think homeless people do drugs and are child molesters? Right. Because there's this real dot, dot, dot connection for people for some reason with if you are homeless, something is wrong and therefore crime is happening. Right. When in reality, the average American, right. Yeah, exactly. Most Americans can't withstand a $500 expense, unexpected expense without going into debt or borrowing it. And if you don't have someone to borrow it from, you are one accident away from losing your house. You're probably not a child molester and there's probably not drug addiction happening. Right. Uh, So fascinating. Um, my I'm my cold is kind of affecting my brain. I want to see That's more okay. women in 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 policy making, and I really want to see more people with different perspectives and policy making. Which is one reason I'm so thankful to be able to chat with you about your role and and you know you're younger, you have a lot of energy, which I just love so much. Um, we touched on this a little bit in our previous interview, but I really want to check in with that again. How did you get support to be able to run? Like initially- So I, well, my first campaign, uh, I won kind of by brute strength. I read a lot of books from the library. I know that sounds weird, but my husband and I both did like how to win, how Barack Obama won his campaign kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but I've gotten, I got a lot of support from other electives. Like you know, maybe helping me not repeat some of the same mistakes. Or sometimes you're like, this right. seems like a really good idea. Mm-hmm. I should spend money on robocalls to call everyone. In reality, right. no one wants a robocall. Right. And so you just need like, and I'm not a big fan of the word mentorship because the majority of women running for office are equally or more educated than I, come from a very different life perspective than I. They don't need my mentorship. They need my sponsorship. They need me to get them into rooms they don't have access to. Because everything in politics is about access. Uh-huh. Access to information, access to spaces, access to donors. And women, we have to do better of like, you know, I make an effort that my husband doesn't go to every political event with me by design. I bring other women with me. If I'm going to an expensive fundraiser um, that I have two tickets for, Ian goes to a couple a year with me, but by and large, I look in my circle of anyone thinking about running for office and going, do you want to be my date to this event? Right, right. And just giving people the opportunity to get in spaces and bank and build those relationships is some Mm -hmm. of the most important work we can do. For the average citizen, where, how should they get more involved? You know, just think your average mom, probably not interested in running for office, but certainly interested in the lack of parking or, you know, how the schools work or whatever. Uh, so how, how could they get more involved in, in politics to know what's going on and how to influence their local area? Specifically, well, I think the number one important thing mm-hmm. is voting. Yeah. We, even though we vote by mail, May elections which is when you decide who your school board member is, who your mayor is, who your town council is, are chosen in May. So I recently looked at the amount of women voting in Beaverton that vote in uh, presidential primaries, but not generals. It's staggering.